0: Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study his word, he will accomplish within us what he desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. Hey, tonight we are on Beatitude number four. That's Matthew Chapter five, verse six. But before we dive in, I just want to thank you for listening, and and again, ask if this is something that you enjoy. I invite you to rate it on Apple Podcasts or share it on your social media channels. Uh, that helps uh, get the word out. Um, you know, my my desire is that people are blessed as we dive into the teachings of the Word of God, because we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It is living. It is breathing. It is sharper than any two edged sword, as Scripture itself teaches. Us. And so the word of God changes us, as we learn and apply what God tells us and has told us through His Word. He changes us. He changes our lives. He changes the lives of the of the people around us. So that that is my desire uh, behind this. This podcast, so I thank you again for for listening. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna dive back into the Beatitudes this week. Last episode, we uh, kind of took a detour um, and reflected on some thoughts on Palm Sunday, but we're gonna dive back into Matthew chapter five here. So I'm gonna read the Beatitudes, Matthew five two through twelve, and then we're just gonna dive into what Jesus is calling us to here uh, in tonight's Beatitude. Matthew five two, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So tonight we are on Beatitude number four, and that's verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he tells us, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus here in this beatitude, he compares the need for us to yearn after righteousness with something with which we are all acquainted, hunger and thirst. On a side note, this is what makes Jesus' teaching uh, such great, so great and which may, what makes him such a great teacher. Throughout the Gospels, he uses objects or ideas with which we are familiar with to teach us kingdom principles. And this is exactly what he's doing here. He's relating this yearning for righteousness that he desires for us to have with hunger and thirst. You see, hunger and thirst are two of our most basic needs. I have four kids, and one thing that has caught my attention every time at their birth was within moments of them being born, they knew exactly what they wanted. The first urge that they all had was hunger. They were hungry. Everyone knows what it is like to feel hungry. We know what it is to be parched and in need of a refreshing drink. Whether you are rich or poor, old or young, No matter where you live, the pangs of hunger have touched us all. We all can grasp the feeling where our body cries out for food or water. And this is why Jesus uses this language here. He wants us to grasp that our desire for righteousness is as fundamental to our existence as food and water. It is as basic a need as a baby's longing of milk. It is as necessary to our survival as water, as crucial to our reality as nutritious food, and as vital to our spiritual flourishing as any form of physical sustenance. Jesus wants us to understand, just as food and water are the essence to our growth and survival in the physical, so is righteousness to our spiritual existence. When we think about hunger and thirst... Jesus is telling us it is natural, but you know what? It is also healthy. If we think physically, when when we feel hunger and thirst, it's our bodies alerting us to a need that we have. It is the systems of our bodies letting us know that there is something that we need that we don't currently have. Go get it. Now, let's spiritualize that, right? We're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It's our spirit telling us there's, there's something that we don't have. Go get it. Right, We will seek after that which we are hungry for. If we're hungry, what do we do? We go to the fridge, we open the fridge, or we go into the pantry and we find something to satisfy the hunger that we're feeling. Furthermore, if we are hungry, nothing but food will satisfy my hunger. If I'm hungry, sitting on the couch and turning on the television does not satisfy my, my hunger. And just so, if I'm following the words of Jesus, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, nothing less than that will satisfy. But what is Jesus saying when he says to hunger and thirst after righteousness? So if I'm yearning, if I'm hungering after righteousness, what does that mean? Well, there are numerous aspects of righteousness that we need to understand as a foundation in order to properly grasp what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the first is, God is by nature righteous. Righteous. Now I'm going to read uh, a lot of scripture here, but I want us to do that because I want us to get the picture that all throughout scripture, God is seen as the righteous one, right? Psalms 119, 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Deuteronomy 32 and four, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. Psalm 119, 142, Your righteousness is righteous forever. Psalm 145 and 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Isaiah 45 and 21, There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Psalm 111 and 3, Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So throughout scripture, we are encouraged to give honor, praise, and worship to God, naming him as the righteous one. And we we must understand that righteousness is part of his nature. Righteousness is not something he does. It is something that he is. And because it's not something that he does, but rather something that he is, it is impossible to separate righteousness from God. There is no righteousness apart from God. The two cannot be separated because not only is God righteous, but because God is righteous, God is also the standard of righteousness. We see throughout Scripture that if we follow the example of God, we're doing so when we walk in righteous living. Genesis 18 19 says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness, right? We were shown here in numerous places that living or walking righteously is seen as walking in the way of the Lord. The two are quite synonymous throughout scripture. If we walk in the way of the Lord, we are walking in the ways of the righteous. In Hosea 14 and 9, it says this, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors, transgressors stumble in them. Here again, we see the ways of the Lord as the model for us to follow in walking in righteousness. Ephesians 4 and 24 says this: "Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. How in true righteousness and holiness? Verse John 2 and 20 says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Right? So we see this, this fact that God is righteous. And we also see this fact that he is the standard for righteousness. So if we are to walk righteous, it is to walk in his ways. It is to follow his example. But it is also true that man falls way short of that standard. Man falls Tremendously short of that standard of righteousness. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love when you look at the Greek for that. It's continuously fall short. It's not just we, we, we fell short once. No, we, we continuously fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 9 and 10 says, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it, as it, as it is written, there is none righteous no not one you see we have all fallen short and we all continuously fall to fall short of the standard of the righteousness of God. This is the story of the Old Testament, right? If you read the Old Testament, we're going to see example after example after example of people, of men and women who through their life continuously exhibited the fact that they were falling short of the righteousness of God. Because not only do we fall short of the standard, but we are incapable of even achieving the standard. Even if we tried our hardest, we are incapable of achieving the standard of God's righteousness. First John 1 and 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3 and 20, this one's huge. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Uh, right? Let's pause there for a moment. And grasp what is being said. Romans 3 20 is saying, even if we were able to live to the exacting standards of God's law. Even if we were able to peruse through the laws of the Old Testament, which are the laws of God, and we were able to match every one of them perfectly and and not break any one of them ever, even if we were able to live the law perfectly, it still would not be enough for us to be righteous in the eyes of God. Romans 8, 7, and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, right? What, what's that saying? It's saying we are controlled by our human nature, right? He continues, for it does not submit to God's law. That shows an intentional refu- refusal, right? The The mind that is set in the flesh, the the human mindset, we are set in hostility towards God. We are enemies of God because we do not submit to God's law. There is an intentional refusal in our very nature to the law of God. But Paul continues, not only do we intentionally refuse to submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. We cannot even submit to his law, even if we tried, right? We have There's this absolute incap- incapability of the human flesh to submit to the law of God. Paul continues, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That mirrors Isaiah 64 and 6, right, our righteousness is like filthy rags, right? Because because we have to understand this, right? Just as righteousness is in God's nature and thus is inseparable, right? We we can't separate righteousness from God. Such is man with unrighteousness. It is inseparable because it is our nature to be unrighteous. You see, unrighteousness it's not something we do. It is in our nature. Just as righteousness is not something that God does. It is in his nature, just so unrighteousness is not something we do, it is in our nature. You see, we're not sinners because we sin, but we are sinners because we are by nature a sinner. By nature we are an enemy of God, as is declared in Romans 5 verse 10. That is why we are left in a hopeless state. Nothing we can do can be good enough to stand before God. Even even our best attempts, just like Isaiah, we read that, Isaiah 64, 6. Even our best attempts at righteous living fall way short of God's standard, right? Our righteousness, it's like filthy rags. Even our best attempts cannot please God because it is impossible to please God because of our nature. And indeed, it would be a hopeless state, except... He has provided a way through his son. And that's the next point, right? So we have God is righteous. And because God is righteous, he is the standard of righteousness. But man falls way short of that standard. And indeed, we find that we're incapable of even achieving that standard, even if we tried. But there is hope because Jesus came to live righteously. And then he grants his righteousness to us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus, Paul is saying here in Corinthians, right? Jesus has become for us righteousness. That which we are incapable of adhering to, that which we are incapable of achieving, Jesus has become for us. We are incapable of achieving righteousness, and so Jesus came and he gives us his righteousness. Romans 5, 17, it says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, right, he's speaking of the unrighteousness that came to mankind through Adam, through the, the fall and the sin of Adam. Sin entered the world, and we are all guilty. We are all enemies of God through Adam's sin. He continues and says, Well, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So right, what, what does Paul say here? Hey, Sin entered, unrighteousness entered through one man, but righteousness can't enter through the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ. And indeed, it does, through the free gift of his salvation. Right? Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I, I want us to notice something there, right? For our sake... He made him to be sin. That's how much he loves us, right? That's That's how much God loves us, is that he loves us so much that that for our sake, Jesus became sin. For our sake, because he loves us, because he wants us with him, he became sin. And so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, notice that Paul does not say here so that in him, we might do the righteousness of God. I want us to see that. I want us to see that in it's not in him we might perform the righteous acts of God. No, in Christ we become the righteousness of God. That is the power of salvation. That is the power of his transforming spirit working in us and through us. Is it's not even it's it's beyond action. It's beyond us doing. It goes to our very nature. You see Without Christ, we are by nature sinners. That's why I said earlier, right? We don't have to sin to be a sinner. It's not because we sin that we are a sinner. It is because we are sinners by our very nature. We are enemies of God by our very nature. And that is the nature that Jesus comes and changes. It it goes beyond just us acting. And it goes to the very depth of our being, to our very nature, that God comes, that Jesus comes and changes us. Right? Jesus came as the perfect son of God. He lived a perfect life and he grants us his righteousness. He changes our very nature. Right? So here in Matthew five, what does that all have to do with Matthew five? You see, we're not being charged here to hunger after actions or works. Right? We, we read Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And it'd be easy to, for our minds to, to go to, to actions and works, but, but rather what we are being exhorted here to do is to hunger after that which can only come as a gift of God through faith in Jesus, which is righteousness. But to take it a step further, to hunger after righteousness is to yearn for the one who can grant us righteousness. And that is Jesus himself. So what Jesus is saying here, <laughs> Jesus is not telling us to hunger after actions and works. Jesus is telling us to hunger after himself. Because it is not in or through actions or works that we are made righteous. It is not through our actions and our, our, our works that we are made righteous. But it is through the gift of God through Jesus that we are made righteous, not in and of ourselves, right? It is Jesus himself who sets his righteousness upon us. So if I am hungering and thirsting after righteousness, in reality, I am hungering and thirsting after Jesus himself. And so we hunger and we thirst after the one who is righteousness incarnate. We yearn for Jesus to be with us and in us. We long for his presence to be evident in us and through us. Psalms 42 and 1 says this, As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Philippians 3 and 8, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord the surpassing worth, right? The supreme, the the utmost value. There is nothing more valuable in this life than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When we are hungry, nothing but that which we hunger for will satisfy us. And furthermore, we develop an appetite for what we feed ourselves. Are we feeding ourselves a diet that increases our hunger for the Lord? Or are we filling ourselves with the things of this earth, leaving no room for a yearning for God? Hunger is an all-consuming experience, right? When you're hungry, you can think of not much else until you are satisfied. We, we, naturally, we naturally direct our attention, our energy, and our focus on satisfying the hunger of our flesh. How much more so the hunger of our spirit see, Jesus is calling us here to develop an appetite for his righteousness. Feed ourselves on the things of the Lord. Direct our thoughts, our attentions, our energies on him and him alone. And you see, something happens then when we develop an appetite to yearn after the master. You see, he changes our desires. At the point of salvation, when we surrender our hearts to him, we, we, we go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. At that point of salvation, he begins to change our very nature. Right? Again, it's beyond our actions and our works. It's to our very nature that he goes and changes us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? As our nature is changed, which we, we, we label that in the church, we label that as the process of sanctification, our desires are conformed to his desires. As he changes our nature, the things we long after are molded after the things that move the heart of God. As he changes our nature, the way we live our life increasingly looks less like the way our flesh desires and more like the uh, more more like Christ, more like the life he wants us to live. You see the desire to live in a manner pleasing to God is a side effect of us chasing after Jesus. And it's it's easy to get this backwards. It's easy to read the words of Jesus exhorting us to hunger after righteousness and and go in our minds to works and actions, right? It's easy to think that Jesus is telling us that his promise to satisfy us will be in response to our appropriately right living. But what we understand is that his graces and gifts are not a response to our right living, but our right living is an appropriate response to his graces given to us we hunger after him, then our lifestyle will follow. And it's so easy to get that backwards, guys. It's so easy to think, hey, if I just make the right decisions, if my, I change the way I live, if I change the choices, if I change the way the, the way that I talk, the way that I live, like, right, then he'll be pleased and then he'll he'll bestow these things upon me. But rather, no, we, we get it backwards, right? Our first priority is hungering after him. Our first priority is chasing after him. And as as we do that, when we chase after him, he changes our desires. He changes our life. He changes our nature our lifestyle will follow what we're hungering after. Our focus is not on doing and not doing, but our focus is on Him. It is upon that foundation of chasing after Him that He changes us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It is not to say that our lifestyle or the way we live and act is not important. We just need to have it in proper sequence. Here in Hebrews, right, we're told that we are to cast aside every weight and sin that clings to us. Thus, we, we cannot ignore the fact that God is concerned about the way we live. He does desire and command from us a holy life. Right, Romans 12:1 and 2, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, by the renewal of your mind. Ephesians 4:17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Right now here in Ephesians as well as in Romans 12 we see the correlation between the renewing of our minds and how that affects our lifestyle. How that correlates with the idea that as we seek after him he changes our desires, he changes the way we operate, right? We just got to get the sequence right. Chase after him. That is first and foremost. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So I'm not saying that God is not concerned about holiness and righteousness and, and right living. He certainly is. But that comes as a result of us chasing after him. It's all about the proper sequencing. It's all about getting our priorities straight, right? My priority is chasing after him. And as I do that, he's going to change the way I live, right? And we, we look at Galatians 5, right? We see the, the contrast in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh rather, and the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Right? It's it's the fruit of the, the fruit of the spirit. It's not something that we can contrive in and of ourselves. It is something that is gifted to us and worked through us by His Spirit. First John two three and six, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him. Truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? So God is concerned about holy living. And so I don't want us to hear anything that I say tonight and misconstrue it as a, hey, God is not concerned about the choices that we make and about the way we live our lives. Cause he, he certainly is. But here's the thing, the way we live is an indicator of a spiritual condition, not the, I think we sometimes get that the other way, the the other way around, right? We, We want our spiritual condition to follow the way we live, right? So I must live a certain way. I must do this and not do that. And thus my spirit will follow. No, but rather it's the other way around. My spirit follows Christ. I yearn after Christ. I chase after Jesus. And if I do that, then my actions will follow. If I am chasing after Jesus, his desires will become my desires. His heartbeat will become my heartbeat. That's the sequence. Right? Jesus says, Hey, hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you will be satisfied. If I'm hungry for a steak, I could feast on a little Debbie cakes and be filled. I couldn't be hungry anymore, but I won't be satisfied. We've all experienced those times where we've eaten to our fill, but left without it, quote-unquote, hitting the spot, as we say. Just so, we can fill our lives with things other than God, but it is only Him that will truly satisfy. He calls out to us, just as He did to the Samaritan woman in John 4, where He said, everyone who drinks of this water, He's speaking of the natural water, He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, that is of himself, his presence, he says, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Psalm 81 and 10 says, I am the Lord your God. He brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will fill it. It is His desire to satisfy us. It is His desire to give us good gifts. Right? James one and seventeen says, "Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." He doesn't change. He wants to fill us. He wants to to satisfy us. So, in conclusion, Jesus is telling us that in His kingdom, His people will be satisfied. He desires for His people to be filled, to be satisfied. And that satisfaction comes in him and him alone. So what are we hungering after? Right, because what we are hungering after is indicative of proper or improper desires. Are we finding ourselves drawn after the things of the world more than the things of God? What are we developing an appetite for? What are we feeding ourselves Do we find our desires out of line? Well, if we do, take a look at what we're feeding ourselves. Are we habitually feasting upon the things of God? Or are we filling ourselves with the things of this earth? You see, we will hunger after that which we have an appetite for. And we will develop an appetite for what we feed ourselves. Do the actions of my life indicate holy desires? If I take inventory of my lifestyle and see it to be contrary to the word of God, I need to check myself. Right. But always remember that my desires are not changed by me trying to act better, by me trying to be better. But my desires are changed by me chasing after Jesus. It is in his presence where my desires are brought into alignment with his desires. It is within his presence that my heart is changed and molded after his. It is in his presence where my appetite for him is increased. It is in his presence. Do we find satisfaction in his presence? Do we find satisfaction in his presence? So let me go through those questions one last time. What are we hungering after? What are we feeding ourselves? Do the actions of my life indicate holy desires? And do we find satisfaction in his presence? Allow me to close with this quote from the book, Experiencing His Presence, Devotions for God Chasers by Tommy Tenney. Lord Jesus, my soul aches at the mere mention of your name. My heart leaps for every rumor of your coming and each possibility that you will manifest your presence. I am not satisfied with mere spiritual dainties. I am ravenously hungry for you in your fullness. I am desperate to feast on the bread of your presence and quench my thirst with the wine of your spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you came obediently and you lived your life righteously and perfectly. And as a result, you are able to grant upon us your righteousness. And so we stand before God with your righteousness upon us. We stand before the Father with your righteousness upon us. So Lord, may we hunger and thirst after you. May we yearn after you. May we long after your presence. God, may we desire more and more to be in your presence and to experience the fullness of your glory. God, help us to hunger after you. And as we hunger after you, you promise us that you will satisfy us. As we chase after you, you've promised that you are there and you will usher us into your presence and you will let us experience your glory lord may that be our prayer may that be our desire in jesus name